You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. All right. Well, good morning. Good to, thank you. It's good to see all of you this morning. And as we are constantly moving about during the summer, people coming and going, vacations and even summer colds, um, just uh, it's good to be together and uh, to come and worship the Lord together. And so I'm glad that you are here this morning. I want to start off this morning just by saying how thankful I am for my pastors. Um, my two pastors encourage me and strengthen me. They challenge me. Um, and the Lord uses them in my life. And I'm very grateful for them. And He's given us a great love for one another. And uh, we are striving to serve the Lord well together. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful for a message that my pastor preached last week. Which is probably, uh, I don't know that you ever really want to say great. Because nobody ever feels like you preach a great message. Um, But it was very good, and for me, it was just very, very useful and very, very challenging. And so uh, I'm grateful for our our striving to stay faithful to the Word of God, to bring truth, and as we preach the Scriptures, that we would have ears to hear and hearts that it would deep root itself in. Um, And so we are in Amos. And we're moving through, we'll be in Amos chapter 2. But even in the good message, those are good only in what you do with them when you leave. It can stand here and impress you. You can walk away and say, wow, I never knew that. Whatever it is, if you don't do anything with it, it's of very little value. And so for me, I try to do what he said to do last week. And the Lord used that in my life and to try to make changes in my own life as I pursue God. This morning as we're moving through a section, we'll be in verses 6 through 12. The Lord has come and he's been dealing with the neighbors. I don't know if you remember as a kid or you have kids of your own that are old enough, but there are times where they may be, I don't know, I hope that they still play outside. At least in my life, we used to play outside a lot. We played a lot of games, and we were smelly boys during the summer, and my mom would hate for me to walk in the house. But at times, we'd be playing these games, and all the neighbor kids, and we're we're going at it, and, and it breaks out into this no, 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 I was safe. No, 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 you're out, you know? No, that was a foul. No, there's no foul, no foul. We're all good, you know? And we're all about winning, and this, this just keeps escalating and escalating arguments to all of a sudden my mom comes out or my dad comes out, and he's like, what in the world's going on? This is not acceptable. So I'm going to deal with you, 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 and you, all the neighbor's kids, and Set it all straight, and then you can go home. Now, I'm going to deal with you. Come in the house. That's kind of like what we have here this morning. 
God has been dealing with all the neighbors. And he has dealt with the neighbors, and now he is turning his attention to his chosen people, Israel, to his children. And he's going to say, come, I have something to say. This is what is taking place here. This is what the Lord says. Last week, we learned in that message, some of his points were what unbelief does in our life. Unbelief rejects God's law and God's word. Doesn't seem like much. Then it leads to unbelief is waste God's statutes, his precepts that were taught in his word. And then it leads to unbelief walks in the lies of the world. So it's not just bad enough that we may reject the word of God and, and, and not go to it or not allow it to change our lives. But in that, there is a move to where you will then walk and live in lies. Last Sunday in ABF, we also studied as we closed out a study. And one of the things that we did talk about was belief. And there was a song that, that I'm familiar with. And it's a really good song. And it's like, Lord said it, I believe it. I'm not sure that's enough. I think most all of you in here, hopefully, would say you believe that this is the Word of God. Some of you would say it is inerrant. That this is the only real truth. Do you believe this? Yes, I do. Do you believe it enough to where it changes your actions? I know the scriptures say this, but, and we have this tendency to say, yes, I believe it, but not enough to where it changes me. And you're seeing here in Israel, there is this, they're walking in unbelievable ways. And last week, Pastor Russ said, there is no neutral position here. It's no neutral. You either going this way, you're going that way. You just think of this in your earthly relationships. They're never flatlined. They're not. You're either drawing closer together or you're drawing further apart. You're allowing things to come in between you. There's no neutral position. And Israel is going to be an unbelievable picture to us this morning as we think in believe in the Word of God, not to have unbelief that we consume this Word, this truth, and that it, that it changes us. Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. This is what the Lord says. For three offenses of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. These who trample the head of the helpless to the dust of the earth also divert the way of the humble. A man and his father resort to the same girl so as to profane his holy name. And on garments seized as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet 
It was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. Though his height was like the height of cedars, and he was as strong as the oaks, I also destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. And it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you in the wilderness for 40 years so that you might take possession of the land of the Amorite. Then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets and some of your young men to be Nazarites. Is this not so, you sons of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and you commanded the prophets, say, you shall not prophesy. I'm going to grab 13, just, we're just going to not delve there, but behold, I am making a rut in the ground beneath you, just as a wagon makes a rut when filled with the sheaves. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we come and we open your word and we ask that you teach us by your spirit this morning. Make our hearts receptive. I cry for your help this morning that you will guide my thoughts and my words, that my meditations and the things that come forth will be pleasing in your sight, and that in all of this we will grow in a great love and affection for you, fight against the things that are evil and the sins that want to come in, and yet you've given us the power by your Spirit to overcome those things. Strengthen us, make us more like Jesus today because we have been together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You walk. Where are you walking? What are you walking in? Are you walking in truth? Or are you walking in lies? They're very subtle. Matter of fact, lies sounds a little strong. Really? You're, you're walking in lies? Yes, sometimes according to this word that we believe, we walk in ways that are contrary to this. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing message this morning, the title of the message is, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. The Lord, number one, point. The Lord who sees all. We do know that He sees all things. There's nothing that God does not see, that He does not notice. He knows everything. He knows everything about Kevin and the things that go on in his heart and in his mind and in his actions. He sees those in your life, in all of our lives. That's a, that's a humbling thing. If we really thought about that and dwelt on that, it would have a radical difference on our life. Somehow or another, we just kind of, yeah, I know. I believe that. I'll just leave it there. Here the Lord comes and he says, This is what the Lord says for these offenses. And he starts talking about what is going on here. They buy and they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. These are probably talking about the judges in the land and those who are ruling and making judgments on the people and settling disputes. And they've been set there by God and they've been clear direction on how they are to go about executing this. If you'll go over in Ezekiel 23 and 6 through 8, it would tell you, don't do these things 
to the righteous. Don't do these things to the poor. It is clear. They are in clear violation of the truth in the scriptures of God. This is where they've come to in the judges, and they're taking bribes, and they're selling, even to the point they may be selling someone into slavery. They're taking silver. They even take someone and, and cast judgment on them in a false way for a pair of sandals. When you start to turn towards evil, it will continue to grow and grow unbridled to where I started off and more the money was what I wanted and now it's down to, man, I'll even take your sandals. In, in, in clear opposition to God's word. Convicting the righteous. The evil that is being done. He goes on, and you see there is a progression here of the things that are taking place. These who trample the head of the helpless to the dust of the earth also divert the way of the humble. A man will say that. He's trampling those who are helpless. It's not enough that I'm coming and I'm taking your money or either I'm taking your sandals, your garments, whatever it is in the lust of that. I'm even going to crush you, man, till you are pressed into the ground. And these are the ones who God set apart. And you know what? And all I saw you see here in a minute, they believe they are executing what God would have them to do. Diverted the way of the humble. Actively making their way impossible. Crushing. You can see they get involved in sexual perversion so as to profane the name of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord sees. This is what he knows that is going on, totally contrary to his truth. Taking their ill-gotten gain, going to verse 8, it continues on. And on garments seized as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Their indulgence in their lust is just taking this gain. And so another passage in Scripture, um, Exodus twenty-two twenty-six, clearly says you've got a poor person that comes to you. He doesn't have anything, but he has an outer garment that he wears. And for surety, for a pledge, you say, I'll take that and I'll hold on to it. Because he is pure, poor, this is what he sleeps with at night. So according to the law and God's command, you were to give him his coat back at the end of the day. Because if you didn't, you would have him trying to sleep without anything on the ground or anything for warmth. And what are they doing with it? Not only are they taking this from a poor person who can't accomplish much of anything because of his state of life, you are then imposing this on them, the judges and the leaders, in such a way that not only am I going to take it and not give it back to you, 
but I'm going to use it in my perversion in the house of God. Beside the altar in the house of God. And they're thinking that they are discharging the duty of God in their judging. And you sit there and this is like, man, this is horrible. I'm sure glad I'm not like Israel. (laughs) How did you come in? And a man uses word to me this morning. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. Did you prepare to come into the house of God this morning? Are we doing anything that's of this? Probably not. So far, in some sense, we haven't reached the level of where Israel is. Quickly turn over to Revelation chapter 2. I purposely didn't give him these verses because your pastor last week said, wear your Bible out, so I'm going to try to help you get started. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Here is a message to Ephesus, the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your labor and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. And you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test. And they are not. And they are not. And you, are, you found them to be false. And you have, pers- you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name. And have not become weary. This is pretty good church. So far, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But you have this, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Are we walking in truth? Yes, we are probably not like Israel. We're not having illicit things going on in this place. We strive to teach the truth and to do the truth to encourage one another in, in, in groups to let these things come in and change our lives? Do you believe the truth? This is what the Lord says. What's going on in our lives that only God sees My use for this first point is to ask you to go home sometime this week and carve out some time with a piece of paper and a pen. Not even your electronic device, which has multiple uses. It could be a distraction, just that you would get alone 
and we would be willing to say, what three things, Lord, even four, may be going on in my life and needs to be changed? Am I walking in lies? Oh, how I want to walk in truth, how I want to walk with you. Will we carve out that time and say, God, what are my offenses? What things do you see? What things need to be changed? And here's the other thing. We've come out of that study in ABF and going, he is a Lord who is rich in mercy. Don't be afraid to do this. I hope that you long to go and do this. Because he is rich in mercy. He is full of grace. You will see that in this passage. How come? Not sooner. How come he waited? Why didn't you come in and say something before this? God, who is rich in mercy, carve out some time. When's the last time you've asked God to examine your heart? So we strive. To walk in him. Point number two. The Lord who says, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Verses 9 and 10. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. Though his height was like the height of the cedars. And he was as strong as the oaks. I also destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. And it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you in the wilderness for 40 years so that you might take possession of the land of the Amorite. Man, I hope that I don't need God to come to me and say, Hey, have you forgotten? This is where Israel is. They're so far from God. And he looking and going, This is what I did. You didn't do this. You didn't accomplish this. He utterly destroyed the Amorites. One theologian puts it this way. The sum then is this. God here complains that he had ill bestowed his blessings and he reproves the people for their impiety inasmuch as they did not lead a holier life after having been freely redeemed. Let that statement ring in your ears. God is reproving the people because of their impiety, their acts, inasmuch as they did not lead a holier life after having been freely redeemed. You did nothing. Your works didn't get you salvation. You didn't accomplish this. The Lord comes and he says, I did this. He destroyed the Amorites. He, he, he wiped them out. He didn't want any of this hanging around because it's being done for a purpose. For these people and being able to live a holier life, there wouldn't be an evil influence. And what are they doing? They're living just like the Amorites were. 
God comes in and goes, man, I'm going to give you this promised land. This is what I did. I jerked all this up. Though they were strong, they were giants, right? They didn't go into this land for 40 years because they were giants in this land. And through unbelief, they didn't believe the word of God. Oh, we believe. We believe. But man, there's giants in there, don't you know? We, we can't win. There's no boasting. There was none of their power, none of their strength. God is telling them, have you forgotten all that I did in kindness, in mercy, in riches, in grace that I lavished on you? God says, I did this. I did this, and you've forgotten. You think about that. This is one of the things that we should be meditating on and remembering these stories, and these stories should change us. Think of all that God did as they wandered for 40 years. Remember what he has done, the abundant grace that was given to them. And in all of this, now in their great sin, it's almost as if they're doubly ungrateful. Not only are you don't remember and you're forgetful, that's, that's sinful enough, but now you've moved into this sin and you're acting as if this is okay. And it's like you're doubly ungrateful for the things that he has done. He brought you out of Egypt. Let that ring in your ears. Did he not bring us up out of Egypt? We were slaves They were slaves. It was a horrible situation. He brought them out of that. They had armies pursuing them. He split seas and they walked on dry ground. Don't get too familiar with that. Do you believe that? And yet, do you believe he's still the same God today that he was back then? Yes, but he can't handle my problems. And even in that, as they rejected the word and and, and that caused them to wander, did not God bound them even closer to him in that process? A desert, a desert. They're wandering in a desert for 40 years. There's not much in the desert. Water, food, clothing, sandals that didn't wear out. This goes on and on. And even in their rejection of God, he bound them even closer and said, here, look at this, and look at the grace that I lavished on you. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Did God not pull us out of Egypt? We were slaves to sin. We are bound for an eternity in hell. Apart from God's salvation, there is no hope. None. And you know what? Not by your strength. There's nothing you could do to earn that. God comes and he looks at you and goes, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. You're mine. You're mine. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? 
what God has done for you? An ungodly forgetfulness has buried all of His grace and provisions. R.C. Sproul writes and he says this, forgetfulness is a major contributing factor to sin for the people of God. When we forget all the Lord has done for us, it becomes easy to take Him for granted and to commit the very acts He condemns in His Word. If we do not regularly remember and thank Him for His great redemption, we are very likely to fall into the sins of the pagans around us just like ancient Israel did. Let us as individuals and as a corporate body in worship meditate regularly on God's great acts. Have we forgotten how God has brought us up out of Egypt? Ephesians 2, 4 And he lays out in the verses before that what we were, children of wrath, indulging in desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongful doings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. A life that leads to a difference. They should have been living a life of an example. A holier life was what they should be pursuing. God did what he did to give them that place and to allow them to live in ways that would just shine the God that has saved them. Use number two, with the same pen and paper, would you spend some time? What graces have of God have we forgotten? What is the testimony of God in your life? Have you even thought about how you came to Christ? Have you even dwelt on that lately and been grateful to God for his great redemption in our life? Even if you have what they call one of the, the good testimonies, like you kids. <laughs> you growing up in a great home. You should thank God for that. This day and age, there's not many homes like this home. That you are being poured into and that God's grace is being lavished on you. Thank God. What is his testimony in your life that he accomplished for you? Spend some time remembering, thanking God for all he has done. I want you to do this, and I want you to come to the community group this week so that you can praise God. Hey, let me share some of my testimony. This is what the Lord done for me. 
even beyond your salvation. Go and, and look at your life and write the things down and, and see over, you haven't lived 40 years. Uh, I, I got 40 years. I can still remember. My list should be very long on, on Wednesday in community group. Come and exalt God in the community group this week. We should just, just explode with gratefulness and thanksgiving and look at what God has done. And he has gathered us together and he's doing this in our lives so we can go out and take this gospel so that others can experience the same thing. Oh, the testimonies of God. What has he done in our lives? Three, the Lord who is rich in mercy and grace. Verses 11 through 13. We'll focus on 11 and 12. Then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets and some of your young men to be Nazarites. Is this not so? You sons of Israel, declares the Lord. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and you commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. God in his grace saw fit to raise up their own sons to be prophets that God himself would speak through those boys to the people of Israel. He didn't have to. He could have just spoke. And everything might have shaken and caught on fire. I don't know, but he could have just spoke. He could have sent angels. He could have done it any way that he wanted to, but he chose to do it through their sons, through his people, that they would be the ones who would come and speak the word of God. This is what the Lord says. And then grace keeps coming and he raises up some young men to be Nazarites. We don't have time, but you can go over into Numbers chapter 6 and you can see what was happening with the Nazarites. But the Nazarites were a group of young, could have been ladies. wasn't just men. But in those scriptures, it tells you what are they doing. They are setting themselves apart for a period of time at that time for pursuit of holiness to God. They did things like they didn't cut their hair. They weren't allowed to be around a dead body so as to defile themselves. They abstained from alcohol, vinegar, anything made with the grape. No part of it, not even the skin. And they did these things what, for a life of holiness, a pursuit of holiness to God. They were to be an example and to be a reminder to all the Israelites, this is who we are. This is where we're going. This is what we do. God doesn't require that you not cut your hair and all these other things, but he is going to do that, and I will set myself apart. Why? So that I can be a witness and a testimony to you. Are we doing that with one another? Am I setting myself apart? Am I fighting for my holiness so that I can encourage you in holiness? 
and that we will pursue holiness. And he's doing that through the young people. Don't wait. Set yourself apart for God like right now. He's not waiting. There's no magic age where you're going to flip over and say, oh, now I should be serving the Lord. No. Once you're a believer, oh, that you young people who are sitting here, those who may be watching, younger adults, you will come behind us be pursuing holiness, bringing those along, encouraging. They can look at you. As Paul even said, hey, follow me as you see Christ in me. Anybody want to say that this morning? Here, come follow me, man. I'm a good one to follow. We should be able to say that. Even in our sinful state, we know we're sinners. But we do that, do we not? The people that I see growth in in this church are taking beyond just the activities that we schedule and are meeting with one another for the scriptures and the pursuit of holiness. And you see growth in their life. They were consecrated, set apart. Reminders, living according to the word, living according to the law, the precepts, the statutes of God. And what did Israel do? They made them drink wine so that they'd break their vow to God. What did they do with the prophets that were raised up? Shut up. Don't say a word. Don't prophesy here. Their worship is so perverted that they are shutting down anything that would bring truth into their life. This is what the Lord sees. This is what the Lord says. They put an end to it. That's where verse 13 comes in and he says, Man, I am so weighted down with you. Can you get a picture of an old wagon that is like got this stuff piled on top of it? It's literally, it's tied on and it's just overflowing. It's all that it can do. And every time the wagon moves, it creaks and it sounds like it's going to break and it's putting deep ruts in the ground. God said, this is what you feel like to me. As I bear with you. He said, finally, enough. No more. I don't want us to ever be anywhere close to that. Are we not Nazarites of today? Are we not set apart, consecrated? I mean, we're not letting our hair grow. Some's letting it grow off their chin pretty good. Dead bodies doesn't seem to be a problem for us. We don't necessarily abstain from alcohol. We got verses that say that's okay. But are we not consecrated to pursuit of holiness? Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is New Testament stuff. So you can can even blame the Old Testament. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, don't forget that through this whole message. God who is rich in mercy and grace. If you don't see that in this picture in the Old Testament, how much mercy and grace that is being given to the Israel is unbelievable. It is a fountain 
mercies to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Use number three, don't reject God's grace in your life for holiness. What are you pushing away? What are you choosing rather than to choose pursuit of God and holiness? A little too much time on the computer, a little too much time, whatever it is, insert, I don't even want to make a list. You, go home, spend the time, examine. Why? For the pursuit of holiness. So that all that God has given us, have you forgotten? And he did it, what? For a purpose. So that we would be a people who would shine and show this is Christ. This is the difference the gospel makes. We are so different. This is, this is I don't know, we, we kind of create our own Christianity because like some way or another, I've, I've kind of like, yeah, I know that, but I don't, I'm not going to have to do that. And if you choose to do that, you're going to find that the road gets really narrow and there's very few people along here with you. Pursuit of holiness and seeking God with everything and making decisions on good things will cause people to kind of like, that guy's he's a little weird, man. He's, he's full of it. We'll stay over here and we're all good. We're good. We're comfortable with our righteousness. not what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. This is what I see. This is what he longs for. He has called you to be a people for him. Don't reject. This is what the Lord says. How did Israel get here? How did they get here? Many, many steps, but just a few. And one of the first, you reject the word of God. We don't pursue God's word. We're not hungry for God's word. Very few are memorizing God's word. How are you going to understand if you're living in a lie, if you don't know the truth? And then even if I know the truth, do I believe the truth? And so much that it's going to change my decisions that I make and the way that I live my life? Or no, I'm comfortable. I'm good. I'm right here. He's, he's got me. I'm in heaven, right? I'm just as good as there. <laughs> That's not God's goal. He saved you for a purpose here. That our pursuit of him and why it is not just so that I go to the word so that I get this for me. Hear me loud and clear right here. Because we have this tendency to go and make the word work for me. How's it going to help me? What's it going to do for me? It's going to make me better? Did you hear Psalm 119 this morning? Blessed are those who walk in his ways. We go there so that we can know God and who he is and what his precepts are what his statutes are why because they're for my good Russ said this last week this is not a drudgery this I should love this 
It's as sweet as honey to me. Is it really? It's finer than gold. I would rather have this. Here. I'm going to take your Bible this morning for a million dollars. Can you never have another one? No. Well, let me get a stack of money in here and see how long that lasts. Really? That precious? Thank you for your answer. They rejected. They did not keep his statutes. They did not keep his commands. They're in there. It's clear to us. It's right here. It's in black and white. We're not people of the word. Last week, we were challenged to read Psalm 119. I read it every day. I wanted to read it in here, and I knew, as always, I can never make these short enough. Because you're all so fearful that it'll be done in 20 minutes, and everybody's going to look at it. That's it? I wanted to read Psalm 119. It took me 17 minutes to read it. I asked somebody earlier in the week, hey, you reading Psalm 19? Yeah, that's a beast. Really? 17 minutes in the Word of God. I was told in my counseling training through CCEF by Paul Tripp, who was one of my professors during that time, he goes, hey, you know what you're going to be the weakest in in your counseling? Get this. Don't forget this. So far as an old man, I haven't forgot this. You don't know the word and how to use it. Everything that is necessary to help people is right here, right here. Did you read Psalm 119 last week? Did you meditate on Psalm 119 last week? And we wonder why we have trouble. If you will go and read Psalm 119 and apply your problems and your anxiousness and your fear as you read that scripture, it will destroy it. If I believe it enough to change my actions... Wear out your Bible, you were told last week. Wear it out. You should have drink stains on there. You should have ink stains on there. You should have sweat drops on there. You should have tears that have fallen on there. Just because we do this doesn't mean it's going to be all that great. Do you know in Psalm 19... And I want to read this, and I'm just not going to do it. It's probably the most important thing that could be said today for me just to read the Scripture to you. It was in your faithfulness, God, you afflicted me. <laughs> I got nobody coming to me for counseling who is afflicted, who's saying, man, God has been so faithful to me. He afflicted me so that I could learn His law and His precepts and His statutes. And that I would walk in them in a better way. There. Want to believe some of that? Seven times a day I praise you, God. Is there anything magical about seven times? Nope. I think it's more of a heart that's going, man, all day long. All day long. It's me and God. 
walking with Jesus. Go. You're going to get the same challenge again this week. Because we have not mastered it. He said that at the end of the message. As he read that. There's a part of me going, Rush, don't say that. Don't say that. Because he said, we'll never master this. Well, we should try. Because you know what happens in Kevin's heart when I'm sitting there and I hear him say that? I'm sitting there going, well, there's my out. I'll never master it. So guess what? I probably won't get started. Start. This leaving this is how you end up coming in here and defiling this place. And we think, no way. You got an enemy who is very, very patient. I got news for you. People said the same thing in marriage going, oh, that's not a big deal. It's all right. Give it about 20 years. We'll see what happens. I hope that you will do what the scripture says. Do what the challenges are so that we will all grow in these ways as we encourage one another. Because this is nothing if we walk out of here and we do nothing. Don't be discouraged. Do not feel guilty. See and hear these messages as grace, grace lavishing on us. God say, man, I'm glad. Are you not glad he's not writing about me? I'm glad he's not writing my life in the Bible. I'm really glad. But I'm also really glad he shows this because, man, you don't, don't do this. Don't do this. This is, this is not who you are. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be in these places. And he is a God who is rich in mercy that it just flows. Like last week, he's no cistern. He is a fountain. Fountain flowing, rich in mercy, rich in grace. And we leave that? Where are you going? Do. Ask God. Help me. That's in there. It's all in Psalm 19, 119. Teach me, Lord. Help me. He didn't have no seminary to go to. Teach me, Lord. Teach me. Meditate. Memorize. Man, if you sit here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to come. You need to run. You need to grab somebody. Come to this God who is rich in mercy and grace, and he will, he will save you. He will give you his spirit. He will give you the ability to live this life. None of us can do this. Rush is right. We, we, can't, we can't perfect this, but he's given us his spirit to accomplish this. As we walk in it, we will continue to grow. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. No better time. We're going we're gonna to do the Lord's Supper. Remember, have you forgotten? Man, prepare your heart right now. As we come, we're going to take this Lord's Supper together. Remembering the grace God has lavished on us.
we come up here and grab this, we're reminded of the precious blood of the Lamb. Of a body that was crushed that took my place. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you are not condemning in these actions, but these are grace and mercies in our lives. That we long as we fight in this world that is so sinful and the, the sin that you have left us in and yet you've given us your spirit to overcome these. We do not have to yield ourselves to sin any longer. But we can yield ourselves to you. Oh God, that we would remember, help us not to be forgetful people. And even though we are forgetful people, that we will remember that we, as soon as those things happen, that we would be much quicker to run to you. Run to your word. May we be a people of your word, devouring it, taking it in so that we know you and what you long to accomplish and use us to guide us so that we know your perfect will. These are the promises and the truths that are in there. Help us as we wander from those. We get busy, and in the busyness of life, we get tired. Psalm 119, he gets up at midnight to praise you. Oh, we love you. We long to be close to you, to love you more. And we are begging you to do that work in us. Give us hearts that say yes. Knowing you, there's no condemnation for us. These are just words that come and bring us back to remember what is really true and to keep us back on track and to pursuing you and the things that you have for us. Now, as we come to your table, we pray that you will use this, that it also preaches the gospel to those who may not know you, the, the, the broken body, the, the life that was taken on the cross, and the blood that was shed, and without the blood, there is no remission of sin. And yet he didn't just die and stay in a tomb. He is alive, and he's interceding for us today. We love you. Thank you so much for leaving your word with us. In Jesus' name I pray.